This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Let's say that together. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let's try that again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We read that they called that back and forth to one another. So this side of the room, let's say it. Holy, holy. And this side of the room. Holy. All right, let's raise our voices together again. Holy, holy. Holy. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Well, good morning. What a way to start off our service this morning, huh? Some great worship songs, a time of remembering the cross together, and then declaring, seeing our king upon the throne, who he is, and the beauty of what he does from that throne where he comes and touches Isaiah's mouth to set him free, for he knew he was a man who was unclean and needed a savior. Well, we're glad to have you here today. We don't start off every sermon that way, but uh, it's nice to switch things up once in a while. Uh, we are continuing our series, You Asked For It. And so we had some various questions stream in regarding worship, regarding worship music. Uh, why do we do this? Why do we do that? And so kind of took all those questions together and made it into two basic questions. So today we're going to look at two basic questions. 
The first is, what is worship? And the second, why do we worship? Okay? Before we go any further, I'd like to pray as we continue our time. Father, we come to you today, and we declare we need you. Lord, I declare I need you in this place. Lord, I ask that your voice would be loud and clear and that my voice would shrink to nothing. Lord, we pray that you would open eyes, open ears, soften hearts to what it is that worship is all about. Why do we gather here every week? Why do we spend so much time singing songs to you, declaring your word? Lord, what is your heart on this matter? We just ask that you would speak loud and clear this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, what is worship? First and foremost, worship at its core is a humbling of myself, a surrender, a bowing down, a declaration of my need for God, an offering of who I am and what I have, my mind, will, body, emotions, and possessions. And... It is simultaneously an exaltation or adoration of God, his character, his power, and his deeds. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 34 tells us, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. In Isaiah 63, I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I praise him for all he has done for us. He has richly, richly blessed the people of Israel because of his mercy and constant love. If the idea of declaring praise seems familiar to you, it's because God designed us this way. We were created to worship. When we experience a good meal, we express its excellencies to those around us. When we read a good book, we share the delights of it with a friend. When we experience a wonderful concert, we praise the talents of those who performed. Praise is not foreign to us. It's imprinted on our hearts. Every time we use the word amazing or awesome, great, fantastic, wonderful, delightful, or breathtaking, we are declaring our praise. So when it comes to worship, the question is not one of, do I worship? But rather, who or what is the object of my praise? Let me say that again. When it comes to worship, the question is not one of, do I worship? But rather, who or what is the object of my praise? Second, worship is not something that is isolated to Sunday mornings or only during music. Worship is not an isolated event. I don't know who the author was of this, but this quote has stuck with me for a long time, and I love it. Saying I'm going to church to worship is like saying I'm going to bed to breathe. Right? Now, hopefully you do breathe in bed, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't see you today. <laughs> right? And, and so, yes, you, you will worship when you're in church, but at the same time, you breathe all day long, every day right? And God created us to worship all day long, every day. Worship is similar to love, in that I, I don't only love my wife, wife when I go on a date with her, 
I don't only love my children when I play with them. I love them at all times, but there are specific times when I express that love more definitively. Likewise, Scripture calls us to offer, think worship, God, all of our lives, not just during our gatherings or services. Some biblical examples of this. In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In Hebrews 13, we read, Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Notice, there was both praise with the mouth and praise through action. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at church. Wait, no, sorry. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Clearly, God is calling us to an all-encompassing, wholesale, unrestricted, full-blown life of worship. To him. Worship without borders of time or place. So with that in mind, that worship is an all-of-life, all-encompassing thing that we do every day, all day, let's narrow in on what many people think of when they say the word worship. The specific time of gathering with our brothers and sisters that we often call church, also known as corporate worship. All right, so let's look at defining worship. The English word for worship actually comes from the root word, worthship. This is real. I'm not making this up. <laughs> there was a word, worthship. Okay, and our word worship comes from that word, worthship. Well, worthship is ascribing value or worth to something, right? Pretty, ex pretty straightforward. Worship is the action of displaying the infinite worth and beauty of our God. John Piper says, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows and demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. William Temple put it this way, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, 
and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Notice three things in the definitions we just looked at. First and foremost, worship is an issue of the heart. The heart is the soil where the true seeds of worship are sown. Worship without the heart is like visiting a wax museum. I'm curious, has anyone actually visited a wax museum? Does it, raise them high, don't be shy. Yeah, yeah, I've been, okay. I have not been to a wax museum, but this is how I would imagine it would go, okay? So, um, from a distance, there may be an appearance of life. But when you come close, you discover it is empty, hollow, and cold. Is that true, wax museum people? Yes? Yeah? Did it look lifelike from a distance? Yeah? Okay, great. Glad I'm telling the truth up here. Good. Jesus describes this in Matthew 15 when he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. When we think of the word vain, it means things like futile, pointless, useless. If we come together and we open our mouth and our heart is not engaged, Jesus is saying that's useless. It's not, it's not an act of discipleship. It's not um, leading us in closer relationship. He's, he's saying it doesn't accomplish anything if you don't engage your heart. It's actually probably worse if you stood there and sang the songs and didn't engage your heart than it would be to stand there and say, you know what, I can't sing this right now because my heart's not in it and spend that time with the Lord praying. Lord, why, why can't I sing these words? What is the struggle for me here? Why, why don't I mean this today? Now, I know that's a lot to ask when you first walk in the door and you just got here out of the car and everything. So, so there is, is an acclamation, right? It's hard to go from zero to 100 miles an hour right away. And that's one of the struggles we always have tension with when we're designing services. How, how do we facilitate a way for you to prepare your heart so that when we are gathering to worship, you're able to worship with all of yourself from the heart. But this is important to us, and we care about this, and God cares about this. Second, worship from the heart manifests itself in outward expression. In Psalm 104, we see, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice and the Lord. And Second Samuel. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. So notice, there is this expression that happens, but we got to get the order right. We don't fake it till we make it, right? It starts in the heart, and it overflows to the body. Third, true worship requires that we know God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. We need to know about God in order to know God. 
In John 4, Jesus said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John Piper says this about that section of scripture. I take in spirit to mean that this true worship is carried along by the Holy Spirit and is happening mainly as an inward spiritual event, not mainly as an outward bodily event. And I take in truth to mean that this true worship is a response to true views of God and is shaped and guided by true views of God. One pastor I used to have used to say, we can't worship God in ignorance, right? If we, if we don't know about God, it's hard to worship him. It's hard to know him. And so this is why we spend so much time in his word, right? His word reveals to us his character, his nature, who he is, what he's done, how he feels about us. And so truth is essential to worship. There's also the flip side, though. We can know all about God and not know him. And so worship involves both spirit and truth. So one final thought to our first question, what is worship? Chuck Swindoll uses the idea of essence and expression when it comes to worship. Essence being what happens in the heart, expression, the things we can see, right? And he says this, the essence of worship does not refer to external, localized actions we perform. Worship is inward. It has to do with the mind, the heart, Worship is the personal contemplation and adoration of God. It is the natural response of those who recognize who God is and what he has done on our behalf. The essence of worship has to do with our internalizing our adoration. When we worship, we affirm a deep personal commitment. That is what God seeks. The expression of worship, on the other hand, moves us into the outward forms of worship. The ways we express our praise to God that may be as varied as whatever culture is expressing it. Some are quite effusive and expressive. Others are more reserved. But let's never forget the essence remains the same. A correct understanding of the essence of worship is integral to a correct expression of worship. The first always lays the groundwork for the second. Basically what he's saying is our cultural context will influence our expression of worship. We exist in a specific time in history. We live in a specific place. We speak a certain language. We communicate certain ways. Everyone got their cell phone? Yeah? Right? We have cultural norms and expectations. All of this will affect our expressions of worship. It is important in corporate worship to provide the opportunity for people to express themselves in their heart or cultural language. For example, in Spain, worship will reflect Spanish culture, music, and language, right? If you were going to church in Spain and it was exactly the same as it is here, you think, well, these people don't even speak English. How are they able to worship God with all of their heart, right? And don't they, their music is no different than what we listen to, but their worship music sounds the same. Is that music really part of their heart language? Or is a different music going to be their heart language? Likewise, in China, 
worship will reflect Chinese culture, music, and language. Right? It would be silly for someone from China to come over here as a missionary and say, I'm going to reach Americans with a Chinese-speaking church, Chinese music, and Chinese food, right? Is that, would that be very effective? I mean, maybe the Chinese food might draw some people in, right? <laughs> right? Maybe if you wanted to learn a little bit about Chinese culture, you'd attend for a little bit, but would you be able to worship God with all of your heart? week in, week out, if you couldn't even understand the words you were saying, what they meant. You'd get up and preach a message, and you'd open your English Bible and try to find out what he's saying. It'd be a challenge, right? So likewise, we live in southeast Wisconsin. So our worship will reflect the culture, the music, and the language of southeast Wisconsin. So this is something we also try to do in our worship here, is hopefully we're hitting that cultural target of who we are, right? To give you the easiest environment possible to worship the Lord. Does that all make sense? Does anyone have any questions on that? I'm serious. Yeah, no? Okay, great. Great. All right. So that answers the question then, what is worship? And so now, I think the, the simpler question is, why do we worship? And to answer this, um, we're going to look at Psalm 103. And so if you have your Bible, pull Psalm 103 out. Um, for the sake of time, we're not going to go through um, every detail of Psalm 103 right now. But it's an awesome psalm. And so here's your homework assignment, a.k.a. maybe do this in your devotional, is take Psalm 103 every day this week and read through it. Maybe in the morning, maybe on your lunch break, just take a moment Read through Psalm 103 every day this week. Here's a summary phrase of the psalm at the outset. I will humbly worship the Lord with all that I am because of what he has done and because of who he is. Why do we worship? Because of what he has done and because of who he is. Let's look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless here actually refers to kneeling before the Lord. Many times when you read the word bless in the Old Testament, we're literally bowing before, right? Kneel before the Lord with all that is within you, all of my strength, my vigor, passion, my heart, my emotions. If I do this simple step, what will this result in? Outward expressions of inward essence, as we were talking before, right? Or inward passion. Some of the examples of outward expressions of worship that we see in the Psalms include bowing, singing, clapping hands, playing skillfully on instruments, shouting, kneeling, standing, dancing, and raising hands. Basically, the whole realm of emotions you'd see where? Any guesses? Huh? Anywhere? Yeah, specifically maybe Sunday afternoons at a Packers game? Yeah? Yeah? Do you see people uh, 
singing ever. Well, maybe, I don't know, we, we sing along with songs in America. If you watch the World Cup at all, you've got these guys from foreign countries, and they just sit there and they sing the entire time in the stadium. They're singing all these songs. I don't know what they're saying because it's not in English, but they just sing and sing and sing, right? Do you see players um, shouting ever? Do you see fans ever shouting, right? Do you see people ever kneel? Do you see people ever dance? Maybe after a touchdown, right? Yeah? All this list is is a list of human emotions expressed, right? So God is saying all the emotions that you have inside you, it's okay to let them out in worship. In fact, go ahead and try to let them out in worship. Don't hold back. As mentioned before, there's not a right and a wrong of outward expressions, but a right heart. Right? Heart first, then the outward expression. But I do want to say this. In your worship, be free. Scripture tells us that it's for freedom that Christ died to set us free. Right? When we gather together, we're gathering together with our brothers and sisters. Right? We're not trying to impress each other here. We're not trying to show off. We're not trying to look good. This is a place where we can bring our brokenness. This is a place where we can bring our hurts, our sorrows, and our joys as we all come together to worship our God who meets each one of us amazingly wherever we are at when we walk through these doors. If you had an awesome week, you were probably having an awesome time in worship rejoicing in the goodness of God. And if you had a hard week in your desperation, you were able to praise the Lord that he stepped into our place, right? The Lamb of God in my place, his blood poured out, my sin erased. I'm set free in Christ. And therefore, this special gathering is to be a place of freedom and joy in our God. Okay, so as we continue on why we worship, um, the psalm, I'm just going to kind of highlight some of the things that happen in the psalm here. So we have, bless the Lord, O my soul, we're at verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. That was the Lord's benefits, right? His forgiveness, his healing, his redemption, his covering, his crowning, satisfying. If we were to continue on, the psalm will go through the Lord's character. We'll see things like his righteousness in verse 6, his justice, his revelation and transparency, his mercy, his grace, his patience. We'll also see things like his forgiveness, his love, his ability, his understanding, his compassion, and his faithfulness. And in verse 19, his position. I do want to stop there and mention one thing. The Lord, in verse 19, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. There's a phrase we use a lot. That I, I used it all the time as a, a Christian growing up. I would say it. And ironically, it didn't really mean much to me until I was in a Spanish-speaking service. Isn't that funny? Okay, 
King of kings, Lord of lords. How many of us understand what it is to be under a king? Has anyone here ever been under a king? Has anyone ever walked into a room and known that the person in front of you could snap his finger and say, your life's over, done? Has anyone ever sat under that kind of power or under a dictator, right, who has total and absolute control over you? It's not something we understand. So when we say king of kings, we're like, yeah, he's the king of kings. Yeah, no big deal, right? But when you are standing before a king, how amazing is it that you know the king of kings? And so to put it in modern day language, maybe it would help to say, you know the boss of all bosses. You know the CEO of all CEOs. You know the president of all presidents. And so we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Because our father is the CEO of our CEO. He has the ability to do whatever he wants or needs to have happen so that I can accomplish his will for my life. That's pretty incredible. The reason that came to life for me in a Spanish-speaking service is because they used the word senor. He was the senor of senors. I'm like, well, is that the word for king? Oh, I started to understand. Oh, okay, great. And so finally, this psalm finishes with a call to worship. We're going to go straight into a video at the end of this call to worship. Remember, read Psalm 103 every day this week. See what the Lord does in your heart as you do that. I'm picking up at verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. 
He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. Uh, I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king.